Well, good morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be with you here on YouTube and Facebook on this Sunday morning as we worship together, wherever you might be, at your home, on your porch, your back porch, your car, uh, maybe at school or even at the office while you're watching this worship gathering. It's really amazing that in spite of this ongoing pandemic, we can still gather in this space digitally over YouTube and Facebook. Today, we're going to be wrapping up our teaching series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so today, what I would like to do is just take a few moments to talk about where we have been and then have a look at how Jesus wraps up this most central sermon in his ministry. This is essentially, I've said it before and I'll say it again, this is essentially the core of Jesus's teachings. So when we as Christians seek to live a life that is faithful to Jesus Christ, it's really important that we understand what his basic core central teachings are. And that really is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So let's take a moment to just center our hearts and minds. Let's say a prayer together. And then let's jump into the end of Jesus's most famous teaching. God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to come together and bring our hearts and our minds to this text, to these teachings that are so important to our lives as followers of Jesus. We ask that as we do this, as we wrap up this teaching series, that you would really help us to see things in a fresh way, that we would be able to understand how our lives are following Christ fit within the bigger context of the world that you have placed us in, the relationships that we have in our lives, our family, friends, coworkers, uh, classmates. We ask that you would really show us, uh, illuminate for us how we are to live these out each and every day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapters 5 and 6 and 7. And last week we left off in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, with the golden rule. Last week I said that Jesus ends that section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is this section that has to do with judging others with our sort of competitive and hostile relationship with others, Jesus summarizes that the people who live out of the kingdom of God, that is the power of God, that they will be people who no longer judge. They don't cast their good things. They don't try to force their good things on others. And instead of trying to coerce and manipulate each other for the things that they want, that they will simply come out and ask for the things that they want. In other words, we become people who are able to interact and engage with each other in a profoundly healthy way. And Jesus ends that whole section with the golden rule. And everything you do to others, uh, do to them as you would have them do to you. And then he says something really profound. He says, this is the summary. This essentially summarizes or contains all the law and the prophets. Now, that's a really interesting statement for Jesus to make there in chapter 7, verse 12, because Jesus has just come through a really comprehensive teaching. This message, if you remember, the Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew chapter 5 with a kind of introduction that all people are included in the kingdom of God, starting, starting with those who are marginalized and oppressed and forgotten 
and scorned. The Beatitudes are all about those who are the least, the weakest, the most reviled in society are going to become the salts of the earth, the light of the world. That's sort of Jesus's introduction to his teaching, that even those who are hated the most will essentially be central to God's kingdom. And from there, Jesus goes on to diagnose the human heart. He says that all the things that we struggle with, anger and contempt, violence of every kind, including sexual violence and greed, hoarding, the tendency to try to to gather unto ourselves all the things that will make us feel secure, all of the problems that we see as central to human nature and humankind. Jesus diagnoses all those problems as having their source in our heart. He says that those are desires inside of us that we have to deal with, we have to sort out in order to become people who are no longer slaves to our broken and sinful desires. And then from there, Jesus goes on to give a kind of prescription for that diagnosis. He says that the solution to the problem of the human heart are these spiritual practices, the spiritual practices that are central to Judaism, practices like giving, and fasting and prayer. Jesus gives us this amazing prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that that seems to encompass the good news itself, everything from providing people with their daily needs all the way to uh, broken relationships in our communities to the pitfalls that we face on a daily basis. All of that is summarized in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us that the key to being right in the world The key to being right with each other is for us to be right with God, meaning the key to our lives being whole and flourishing and healthy again means that we must first have a proper orientation to the goodness and love and righteousness of the universe. And from there, Jesus goes on to describe what people who are made right from the inside out through their spiritual practices, he goes on to describe what those people's lives will look like. This is what we've been talking about for the past couple weeks. Jesus says, people who have been liberated from their broken desires will be people who are free from anxiety, who are free from constant worry, who are free from the tendency to hoard wealth and things. And even more than that, as we've seen over the last two weeks, Jesus says that people who have been changed from the inside out will also be people who are free from entangled, unhealthy relationships with each other. They'll no longer judge each other. They'll no longer try to force their good things on each other. They'll no longer be people who, like I said a moment ago, try to coerce and manipulate each other to get the things that they want. Instead, we will become people who treat each other the way that we would want to be treated. And then he says right there in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, all of this, everything that he has just said, totally and fully encompasses the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus says that this is a life that fulfills all the requirements of goodness and righteousness and peace. That the life that we are seeking, a life that is made right, that is made whole, that is made genuinely good, is a life where we are free, utterly free, to be genuinely good to each other, 
Because we so trust God, we are so connected to the goodness of the universe that we no longer have to live lives that are full of dysfunction and anger and violence. And so from there, Jesus switches subjects again. And this is how I want us to end this series. Jesus has shared with us the golden rule. He's sort of summarized all of his teachings with the golden rule. And from there, Jesus enters into what I would call is his conclusion. The conclusion to Jesus' sermon after he has made his sort of summarizing thesis statement of the golden rule, the conclusion to Jesus' sermon begins in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, with a familiar saying of his that we often struggle with a lot. And that saying is this, Matthew 7, verse 13, he says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few that find it. Now, this is one of those sayings of Jesus that people really struggle with a lot because it feels very harsh. After Jesus has just given us this sort of positive vision of what life can be like if we follow these teachings, this sort of incredibly like idyllic idea that we can fulfill the requirements of goodness and righteousness and peace simply by doing one thing. And that one thing is to treat each other well, to treat each other kindly. From there, Jesus turns to this really dark image. He says, I have a warning for you. Everything that I have just said may sound good to you. It may sound wonderful. It may sound like something that you want. But I tell you the truth that most people will not follow it. Instead, they will enter through a gate that is very wide and a road that leads to destruction. But there are those, a few, some of you, will choose instead to follow a different way. You will enter through a gate that is narrow and a road that is hard, but it leads to life. And there are only a few who find it. What? does Jesus mean by this? Many people, perhaps most people, when they read this, they tend to think that this has something to do with eternal judgment. It has something to do with people not being found worthy and being cast into a pit of hell for all eternity. And it's really common to hear preachers say exactly that. But I just want to point out to you that if we want to know what Jesus means by any given statement, any given image, any given parable, the very first thing for us to do is to simply look at the bigger context. What is it that Jesus is saying before and after that? And how does Jesus' words, in this case, fit in the bigger picture? So let's take a look at that bigger picture. After Jesus talks about the the wide gate and the narrow gate, he goes on to say a few more things that are very illuminating. He moves on in chapter 7, verse 15, to talk about the tree and its fruit. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And then he goes on in verse 18 to give us something that's incredibly helpful when it comes to discerning whether or not the people who bring to us words of life, words that are uh, claimed to be from God, he gives us this incredibly helpful rule for discerning whether or not they really are true. In verse 18, he says this, 
A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And in saying this, Jesus connects the words of people who, who claim to speak for God, the words of people who claim to be quote unquote quote, prophets, he gives us a kind of rule for figuring out if they really are from God. And that rule is very simple. He says, if they produce good fruit, then they're good. If they produce bad fruit, then they are not good. Because a tree that is healthy, a tree that is good, a tree that on the inside is strong and healthy and reliable will produce good fruit that you can eat, that will nourish you, that will sustain you. But trees that are unhealthy, trees that are not in good shape, trees that cannot be trustworthy, even though they might look the same on the outside, ultimately they do not produce good fruit. Jesus is saying very simply, that if we want to know whether or not somebody can be trusted, whether or not somebody really speaks the truth, whether or not somebody is worthy of following, all we have to do is look at the long-term outcomes of their lives. Are their lives full of good things or are their lives full of destruction? And so Jesus here ties our judgment, our discernment, Right? Our good judgment of whether or not people can be trusted, he ties that to the outcome of their lives. And then he goes on to say something very similar. After talking about having the discernment to know whether or not people can be trusted, he moves on to talk about whether or not we can trust ourselves. And he says something similar in verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So he gives us a similar test. He says, sometimes you won't know if you can trust the people who are speaking to you on my behalf. And the test is this, do they do what is good? And after that, he goes on to say, and not all of you can be trusted. Not all of you are people who really do produce good fruit. And here's how you can tell if you are deceiving yourself or not. The test is simple. The question is, are you doing what I have taught you to do? Do not call me Lord and then disobey me. If you don't put into practice my actual teachings, if you don't actually do what I teach you to do, then I am not your Lord. And your life will lead to destruction. Finally, Jesus closes this section with an incredibly familiar story. And I want to read this story to you now because this is really how Jesus ends his most important teaching. And it really summarizes this whole section, this sort of conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it also summarizes the entire Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7, verse 24, he says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. Then everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand 
And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And it was a great fall. And this ultimately is how Jesus ends his sermon because this ultimately is Jesus's greatest concern. When Jesus begins to summarize his entire sermon on the mount, when he enters into his conclusion, he begins his conclusion with a warning. Not everybody will take this path. In fact, this path is hard. This path is difficult. The gate is narrow and not very many people will follow it. But there is an easier path, a path that is wide and a gate that is wide, and many people will take that path, and that path leads to destruction. Jesus is very simply saying, in the most obvious and plain way, that those who follow his teachings, those who do what he says, are those who enter through the narrow gate. And Jesus says very clearly, very plainly, so that there is no mistake that following these teachings can be hard. That road is difficult. Because what Jesus has taught us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, of course, is to deal with the things in life that we most often try to avoid. Jesus is calling us to do the very things that we spend most of our lives trying to get away from. He's calling us to deal with our own hurt and pain and woundedness inside of our hearts. He's calling us to deal with the desires inside of us that lead us to hurt and harm other people. He's calling us to confront our own false selves so that we can learn to live and grow into the true selves that God has created us to be. And that work is difficult. It involves being honest with who we really are, reckoning with our broken desires, and entering into the deep work, the spiritual practices that help us to heal from the inside out. Jesus says most people won't do this. He says most people will hear his teachings and they will do their best to avoid it. And he says, many of them, many of us will go to great lengths to pretend that we are his followers, but in reality, we don't do what he says and our lives don't produce good fruit. And in the end, Jesus summarizes this dilemma with this story about wisdom versus foolishness. Are we going to be people who hear this message and put it into practice? put it in action or not. It really is very simply a message about wisdom, about how to live our lives in a way that may seem difficult, that may seem hard, that may even seem scary. But if we do it, we'll be like the wise person who built their house on a solid foundation so that when the storms of life come, our house will stand. That is essentially the meaning of wisdom. The meaning of wisdom is when we recognize that doing what is hard now, doing what is painful now, doing what is uncomfortable now, builds in us the kind of strength and resilience that we need to live truly good and righteous and peaceful lives. While foolishness is when we choose to do what is easy now, 
But in the end, that leads to lives of ruin and destruction. Jesus' question for you today, my question for you today is, are you wise or foolish? Do you seek a life of wisdom, a life that is willing to do what's hard, a life that is willing to, to make the kinds of sacrifices, to do the deep internal work of spiritual practices that will produce in you a crop of good fruit? Or are you somebody who embraces a life of foolishness? A life of ease and comfort and escape from the difficulties of living that will only come to, back to haunt you later and lead to further destruction in your life. This is the choice that Jesus gives us. It's really not about heaven and hell. It's really not about divine judgment. It's really a decision about living in this life in a way that is truly good, truly wise, and truly uh, righteous, as opposed to a life that leads to ruin and destruction for ourselves and for others around us. My prayer is that we would become a people at this church, at the Oceanside Sanctuary, who embrace lives of wisdom. That when we open the passages of Scripture that we visit every week when we gather, when we read into these passages every time we study them in our Bible study, like call and response, or in our book club, when we gather in small groups together and we try to digest what these words of Scripture mean, that we will orient ourselves towards God as people who seek God's wisdom. That's my prayer for our church today and for this next year, that we would become a church that truly embraces the wisdom of Jesus and Jesus's gospel. Would you pray that with me today as we close? God, we thank you again for today and for this opportunity for us to hear these words and to learn something from you. We pray that you would give us the wisdom to understand what these words are calling us to do each and every day and that you would give us the courage and the grace to step into obedience to these teachings, that we would become people who are able to engage in the kinds of spiritual practices that help us to become more aware of you and your goodness around us all the time, and that we would learn to be able to put that goodness uh, into practice in our lives as we learn to love you and love our neighbors and love ourselves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. We've got a few couple quick announcements before you head off and enjoy the rest of your weekend. So the first thing is, if you're new, we would love to connect. You can head on over to OceansideSanctuary.org slash contact. Fill out a little connect form there and we'll be in touch. Now, today we are celebrating our 146th anniversary. That's so crazy. We've been around for 146 years. So if you'd like, you still have time, you can come out to the church in person. We'll be having some cake, uh, some other things, or you can just pop in a comment and say happy birthday, whatever you wanna do. But this is a huge celebration for us, 146 years. <laughs> Next up, we have call and response coming up this Thursday, the 18th at 6.30 p.m. We're studying the 
stories of Jesus. This is a safe place to learn more about the Bible, to ask questions, to really reflect in community and not feel like, you know, you have to get all the right answers or anything like that. So join us for that. You can RSVP at the website. It's on Zoom. Next up, this is really fun. We have an Advent and Christmas devotional series and dinner group coming up starting November 28th. We're going to be reading this book by Sanja Jha, who is a disciple of Christ, who is a wonderful friend and mentor to a lot of the things we do. And it's called Traveling with Our Ancestors. So you can pick up that book at church. We can send it to you. We're going to be starting to read that on November 28th. And then there's a dinner group that's going to be hosted by the Nzunzas that is going to start December 1st. And that's going to be a couple Wednesdays in a row, which is limited to 12 people only. And that is also going to deal with the theme traveling with our ancestors. So a dinner group built around that theme. So you can RSVP for that dinner group. Again, there's only 12 people max who can attend that. And you can RSVP online at our website. And last, as always, we are a nonprofit 501c3. So if you can, if you're able to support our mission, we really appreciate that. We thrive on the gifts and donations from people like you. So you can head on over to oceansidesanctuary.org give, set up a monthly donation, a one-time donation, whatever makes sense for you and your family. All right, everyone, we will see you soon. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a beautiful week and be blessed. Peace.